welcome back to Tiny Green Chats. I'm your host, Kate Dillion, and I'm here with my co-host, Jazz Jackson. And we are joined by very special guest, Christine. She is an author, content creator of YouTube called Simply by Christine, and she's also the owner of Christine's Cookie Co. So, Christine, we are so happy to have you with us. If you just want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and like what Christine's Cookie Co. is and everything else that you do. Yeah, sounds good. And thanks so much for having me on here. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Christine. I am an author of the published book called Sustainable Home. You might have seen it um, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, various bookstores throughout the world and also in several different languages. I am also a content creator with my blog, Simply by Christine, and my YouTube channel currently has over 100K subscribers. It's a really great community of folks on there that are all interested in slow, simple, and sustainable living. And as of recent, um, of November 2020, my husband and I launched Christine's Cookie Co. And it's essentially a passion project for both of us because we've always wanted to start a small business together. We've always had that itch. And for myself, I've always loved baking. And in particular, it's been cookies. But I knew that with my background in sustainability and packaging, manufacturing, I wanted to tie some of that in with my passion for baking as well. And I thought that making it organic and trying to understand food sustainability would be all the more fulfilling if I were to go that route. So that's kind of a bit more about myself. Very cool. And congratulations on starting like a small business, especially during the pandemic. That's an accomplishment within itself. (laughs) Um, Yeah, not easy feat. (laughs) Do you want to just tell us a little bit about how you got into like the sustainability sector? Sure. So For me, actually all started when I was studying packaging in my undergraduate studies. I first started off as a business major thinking, okay, I'm gonna earn a lot of money and then donate it to another nonprofit and they'll handle all the good work that needs to be done in this world. And I thought that was the extent of what corporate responsibility would be. But um, the more that I sat in my business classes for that first year, the more I just thought, okay, I wanna be like doing something behind the scenes. I really wanna understand like how products are made. So I switched my major to industrial packaging technology, which is a blend of manufacturing, product design, and also packaging engineering. And I didn't know very much about packaging to start, but I was just really interested in supply chain. Um, And at the time I was also learning about ethical fashion and um, trying to get more invested into that. So I wanted to kind of dive into that realm of manufacturing, understand how things were made. And it wasn't until I started taking a lot of my packaging courses though, that a huge light bulb just lit up in my head because there was this whole realm that goes behind packaging that I never knew existed because there are people that have PhDs out there that are trained to, you know, manufacture and design and to research all the different materials that go into our packaging. But it is a single use product that is simply looked at for a few seconds and then thrown away without much of a thought. And the more that I got invested in that nature and the more that I saw the disconnect between um, just average consumers and then where packaging waste ends up, which is essentially landfills, the more I was like, okay, something's something's a little bit off. And it wasn't until my senior year where I had a guest lecture come in from the local landfill. And he shared that the United States makes about 5% of the world's population, but produces unfortunately 40% of the world's waste. And about half of that waste comes from food and food packaging. So I was about to graduate my senior year thinking, okay, I have this knowledge 
but what am I going to do with it? Because I don't know, I might end up in a packaging field in the future and I might be creating more trash. You know, like people just don't have an understanding of what's actually going on. So um, it was kind of from there where I started my blog because I just want to spread awareness about the packaging waste that I knew about. And then that kind of translated into all other waste as well. And yeah, that's kind of how the story goes. Could I ask a little bit about why some materials that are used in packaging may be dangerous for the environment? Or what are other ways in which we can be sustainable when using these packaging materials? Right. So I guess the biggest uh, problem area for packaging right now is in regards to single-use plastics. I took a plastics course in my third year of college, and that was another light bulb moment for me, actually, because the professor that was teaching that class, he actually had a very interesting take um, when he was teaching us about plastics. But um, the more that we got to know him throughout the class, the more that we understood that um, his perception of plastics was so negative because of his own personal story. He has a son with autism. And after his years of research, he had a pretty firm belief that when we use plastics with our food packaging, when we heat it up, when we eat with it, when we dispose of it in landfills, you know, when plastics kind of, they are not completely stable at room temperature. So all of the plasticizers or the chemicals that go in as additives to make plastics have certain properties for performance, um, unfortunately, they will leach out. And, you know, re there's limited research, but the research that he did shows that when it's sitting in landfills, and just kind of sitting there forever, you know, those toxins and those plasticizers will come out and they can go into our waterways because, you know, landfills, they have liners, but they could break down over time. Um, and then think about all of the plastic bottles or just plastic pieces that are going into our oceans, um, our local ecosystems as litter and plastic pollution. If those things are just simply sitting there, they're going to eventually break down into smaller and smaller pieces. But again, those chemicals are going to leach out. So there's just a huge misunderstanding in regards to, um, you know, the effects of plastics. But we use it in so many applications because it's a very useful material in various ways. So, um, yeah. I'm actually interested um, in your in your products and how you make them. Um, I read that 80 percent of the um, the ingredients are either homegrown or you know local locally grown or manufactured. How do you keep it uh, so high? The 80 percent so high. So we work with um, a local food distributor that has a network of various local brands and growers. And I've done my research to kind of figure out, okay, are there companies that we can support that are, you know, manufacturing the foods or growing the foods within like a 100, 180 mile radius, which is pretty good considering how spread out the United States is and how sprawled out it is. So I've done my research with them. I've kind of um, looked to other, you know, um, sustainable grocery stores and kind of seen like what are the brands that they're highlighting and have found um, amazing companies like for example the walnuts that we source is from a family farm in California called Old Dog Ranch. They have delicious walnuts um, and they uh, they give them to us toasted as well and we get to bring our own containers and they fill those up for us. So that is a really cool partnership that we're looking forward to developing in the future too. Um, but yeah most of the food that is grown um, 
at least within the U.S., not all of it is local. Like, for example, sugar, that's mostly going to be grown down in the South or maybe even South America. So it's not completely perfect, but, you know, the butter, the eggs, um, the walnuts, the chocolate is, a, yeah, chocolate is grown in other countries potentially, but it's all manufactured um, within Cal Northern California. So it's not perfect, but we are doing our best to, you know, highlight those uh, local businesses. Um, and that is extremely important. So I, um, I do appreciate that fact about um, Christine's cookies. Um, so then we can get to the part where it's like, what is the difference between an organic food product and a non-organic product? And talk about uh, walking us through your baking process. Yeah, sure thing. So in regards to organic products, pretty much the most simple way to define it is that organic food needs to be grown without prohibited substances and pesticides. Um, I think the land that they use, it needs to be not treated with any pesticides for three years before they can get that certification to become um, organic. And even as a cookie producer, I'm not the one that's growing the food. It's our, our food producers or all of our suppliers right now, they're all USDA organic. But we too, as a cookie business, in order to use the word organic in our ingredients, on our labels, we have to get third party certified as well. So it's a pretty stringent process. Um, you need to get an annual certification, which holds um, these companies accountable, right? Otherwise we could be greenwashing and throwing these terms all over the place and then people don't really know what's truly organic or not. So it's really important to understand and to look for that USDA organic label um, and just understand that, yeah, some of these things might be more expensive because um, they're paying for more labor to grow these things organically, which does take more time. And second, they have to go through these auditing processes too, which is also an investment. Um, did that answer your question? Uh, for sure. And yeah. there was another thing and as far as um, growing um, like organic food and, and, and organic food. As I, as I was doing a little research on um, how you kind of bring in um, organic ingredients into your, your baking process, I also like ran across a term called monocropping. Right. Um, and I also saw that you mentioned chemical fertilizers as well. So if you mm -hmm. can just let us know um, your thoughts about monocropping and kind of what that is, as, and it's also, also um, how detrimental chemical fertilizers are when it comes to the food that we eat. Right, okay. So in regards to monocropping, there is a really big movement right now called regenerative agriculture. You can read about it um, in the book Drawdown, which has a lot of different um, solutions to climate change. And it talks about how nature's kind of natural way to be a carbon sink is to have a variety of species of plants that can draw carbon in. Whereas through modern day agriculture, it's all just one type of plant and it just extensively uses the dirt and kind of takes all the nutrients. And the way that industrial farming works is that they make that crop and then it becomes dirt and dust for like a good uh, majority of the year. And then they try to plant that crop again until there's really like no nutrients in there. So there's like a lot of dust or like nutrients that have um, really just been lost from our dirt and our soils because we're not taking care of it. But the idea of regenerative agriculture is that you have a variety of plants that will always make sure that there are healthy microorganisms, microbes um, and nutrients in the soil at instead of just stripping it all once a year. 
You can get more information um, on that particular subject from watching the documentary called Kiss the Ground. Uh, we watched it when we were starting out our small business and it was pretty insightful. But also in regards to chemicals, um, there's another great video that I'd recommend from a YouTube channel called Our Changing Climate. They talked about the particular pesticide called Roundup. And I never really knew the history of it, but we use it um, in quite a few like lawns or uh, just different agricultural applications today. But the original intent of that pesticide was actually a tool for war to kill people, which is insane that we are still using it to this day to, I guess, um, kill insects or um, pests that we don't want. But if you think about that, that was used to kill human beings and as a war tool, why is that still being used in present day applications close to our food? So it's really important to question, yeah, what are the chemicals that are going into our foods and what is the impact it's going to have on our bodies? Because these are things that we ingest and eat and they're gonna go into our bloodstreams and into our bodies. Right. And can you go a little bit further into why these industrial plants and these industrial factories and the chemicals that they're using do pose an imminent threat to BIPOC communities or smaller communities within the area and the dangers and potential threats that they impose on these communities? Absolutely. So a lot of these industrial areas, I never actually worked in too many industrial plants, but when I was interviewing for jobs, like I had an interview with a pretty large uh, snack food company, middle of nowhere in California. Um, but those are in places where it's definitely lower income. And a lot of the areas that when you go further into like the central uh, east um, part of California, that's definitely lower income areas, mostly agricultural farmlands. So if you think about all these communities that are living there and trying to make a living, um, by growing all these foods to feed our nation, um, all the chemicals that they're spraying are probably going to end up in the soils, in the waterways, and also just in the air close to their home. So it definitely has a direct effect. And I don't think we think about it often enough that there are people behind every single piece of food that we eat, every single product that we touch that um, we don't really understand the true environmental impacts of all the things that we are using until we really research it. So it's so important to kind of take a moment to really appreciate, you know, how much this goes into it. Yeah, and earlier in the year, we had spoken to someone and she was telling us about the effects that climate change had on crop production and the production of fruits and vegetables in California, and was wondering if you had seen any of this in your experience and what you think this means for the future, the, the direct effects that climate change has, is going to have on food productions in the future. Yeah, I personally, because I don't work in agriculture, I work just as kind of like an end consumer facing product. But every time you just drive through California, there are signs um, about the water crisis. And I know that every year um, it gets worse and worse in regards to our water supply and how much we can use. Um, so I know that is something that farmers are facing every summer, the more dry it gets, the more hot it gets, there's less water to grow our food and that's their livelihoods. Um, I've seen um, just climate change really affect my local community in the Silicon Valley just because of the wildfires last year. That was insane. I had never seen anything like it where I was not able to go outside for about a month because the air quality was just terrible. So I know that is a different perspective from the agricultural viewpoint, but 
um, just I think that really hit it home for me this past year too. No, it's really important, especially to talk about it, because we had spoken to someone also early about her personal experiences with the wildfire. We were talking about how if you don't, if you're not directly experiencing it, like it doesn't just hit as home. And she said it was something more of like, if you were just seeing it on the news, it was almost like a movie. So I think it is really important for people that are experiencing like, like we're doing, like we're having a little conversations about what's happening mm -hmm. um, to get like a personal perspective behind it. But going a little bit into your uh, cookie company. I was just wondering, I know organic products you're mentioning are more expensive than non-organic products because of everything, like all the hard work that goes behind it. So I was just wondering what should drive a person, like say if they don't know anything about like the difference between them, why should they pick the organic product and not the non-organic product? Or like what is like their health, like how is it going to affect them as an individual? Right. Yeah, I mean, cookies aren't necessarily a health food, but if you just think about, um, hmm, actually, let me, let me think on this question a little bit. Um, yeah, so there are studies that show that eating organic doesn't necessarily alter the amount of nutrients that you're get, going to be getting, but that when you eat organic foods, they tend to be, you don't have to eat as much to get the nutrients that you would from a conventionally farmed um, food because those things are often grown very large but then the flavor is diluted and then the nutrients are also diluted so you can still get pretty similar nutritional benefits from, from both organic and non-organic foods just ensure that you're eating plenty of healthy fresh produce but I think for me at least personally when I buy organic items I because of my manufacturing background I just think a lot about the people that are behind everything that is being grown and made. Yeah, you can choose to buy an organic product because um, you think it might be better for you, but ultimately understand that it is so much better for you know all the people that are connected to it. And it's just a wonderful way to support your community too. So I hope that somewhat convinces you to buy organic cookies, but um, they're also just very tasty too. I think the quality of the ingredients does also speak for itself. Yeah, definitely. And just going a little bit off of that, if you want to, I know we touched a little bit earlier on your partnerships and how the food is actually made. But if you want to go a little bit now into your process of what it's like making your cookies from like the start to like packaging and then when you're finally shipping it out to your customers. Yeah, so we currently make all of our cookies in a commercial kitchen space in San Jose. And all of our cookies, except for our vegan ones, um, the ones with dairy butter, those are all browned. So my husband is actually the one that typically goes in and browns the butter before we do a big baking night. And we will bake all of our, or make all the dough balls for our vegan and also um, all of our other regular cookies. So we have four signature flavors right now. We have chocolate chip, vegan chocolate chip, chocolate walnut, and salted peanut butter chocolate. And I'm also currently testing um, a black sesame recipe to, as a nod to my Asian roots, as well as a gluten-free oatmeal. So we are kind of doing all of that in parallel. And when we make all of the dough, it is very much a labor of love. It's a lot of heavy lifting of the ingredients because we make each batch produces about 74 ounce cookies. So we could be there for a number of hours, just churning out dough balls on a Friday night. And typically we bake on Saturday mornings for our local customers for local delivery and pickup. And then also Mondays is when we ship out to those who are not based in our area and we bake all of them as well. 
In regards to our packaging, we also ensure that all of our packaging is plastic free. Because I know um, as someone that does her best to live a low waste lifestyle, um, it's really concerning to see just how much plastic is being produced in the world and how much waste it's generating. So we currently package all of our cookies in these um, boxes made out of paper with compostable materials, a paper sticker, everything is plastic free. We even use water activated paper tape, which is surprisingly much stronger than plastic tape. So I would highly recommend it if you're looking um, for an alternative to plastic tape. And the same thing goes for all of our shipments too. We use paper glassine bags, which are essentially, they um, roll the paper in a different way. So that's more grease proof and water resistant. And we use that in lieu of, you know, plastic um, or even like a PLA or compostable plastic alternative because we want to make sure that people have something that is truly plastic free. So we ship everything without plastic, which is very nice if you're also looking to reduce your waste. Um, that was really nice. Um, I think that just in a small amount of time, I've learned a little bit about package, packaging and plastic packaging is, um, and way, alternative ways to package outside of plastic packaging. And um, just a little bit more about you and your mission. And so as we wrap up our tiny chat, um, I want to know, is there anything you'd like our listeners to come away with um, that you like? I always mess up this question. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> I was just with this question. Is there anything that you'd like our listeners to come away with or one key takeaway message that you'd want to resonate with them? Hmm. I would say to think twice about the next thing that you're purchasing. Try to understand where it's going to come from and where it's going to end up and how it's affecting your local community. And one really tangible way to do that is to just go to your local farmer's market say thank you to the farmer that grew your food that you're about to eat and just have a deeper appreciation for the time and the hard work that it takes to actually produce something like that. That was it. This was our tiny green chat. We always keep them short because we want them to be tiny, but very impactful. Um, thank you so much, Christine. Um, I yeah, hope, of hope our listeners learn a lot. Um, and you can let them know where they can find you um, or follow you or reach out to you. Where can they find you? Yes, so our website is christinescookie.com and we're also Christine's Cookie on Instagram. And then my other blog Instagram is simply by Christine. Christine's Cookies, they sound amazing. I definitely will after this. They really do. I'll try. <laughs> I could really do some cookies. Um, but yeah, it was so great having you uh, come here and talk with us. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity. And hopefully, you know, that's informative and educational for those that are listening. Hey everyone, thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. Please feel free to follow Christine on all of her socials that she mentioned before, as well as follow Simply by Christine her blog and also her YouTube channel. And if you haven't bought a cookie from Christine's Cookie Co. yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. They sound delicious, so I highly suggest you buy one right now. In terms of Tiny Green Chats, we release a new episode every Thursday for Tiny Chat Thursdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So follow us, subscribe, and turn on the notification bell to stay updated with the latest news and information regarding the environment. We are at Tiny Green Chat, no S on Instagram, and at Tiny Green Chats everywhere else. Please feel free to email tinygreenchats at gmail.com with any questions or inquiries. Thanks again and see you next time.